up, Mass Murder Gang, and welcome to another episode of Mass Murder Talk. We are your hosts, Janine and Tony Johnson. What's up, Tony? What's up, y'all? On this podcast, we talk about mass murders, usually dealing with mental illness and or the family angle. However, we do not talk about school shootings. And let me tell y'all, we are not therapists of any kind, shape, or form. We tell the stories with the information that we have to the best of our ability. At the end, I always ask, what do y'all think? Then we'll give our opinions and final thoughts. I know that I've been saying that I'm going to be doing a sister segment that I'll put out monthly and that'll start after the holidays. It'll be about parasite. For those of you that don't know, parasite is when a person or persons kills their parents or someone close to them in, as a family member, something like a grandparent. So be looking out for that sometime in January. Those segments won't be as long as the podcast episodes. And I'm not really sure how I'm going to present them. I'm not sure if it'll be short Facebook videos or through the podcast. Once I figure that out, I will let y'all know. Okay, so I'm going to address the elephant in the room. I know that our audio quality has been terrible lately. We are positive that it's our laptop. After this episode, Mass Murder Talk will be on Christmas break. During that time, we will rectify the situation. So with... All of that out of the way, let's start the episode. So this one is another one that hits home for me. This episode is about the Dayton, Ohio Christmas killings in 1992. And as everyone knows, I am from Dayton, Ohio. I was born and raised here. I know that Christmas is a time for love and family, but I felt like this would be the perfect episode to end the year and it's right on theme. I know that some people think that it's a little morbid to talk about stuff like this so close to the holidays, but let's face it, shit like this happens, especially in these times. So if you are from Dayton, Ohio, and you're listening to this, you probably know what I'm talking about. So Tony, do you know anything about this? Have you ever heard about it? I'd heard about it, but I really didn't know what all had happened until we started doing the research. All right, well usually, as again, our episodes deal with some type of mental illness or something to do with the family, but this one does not seem to touch on either one of those. This episode is about Marvellis Keene, who was 19 at the time and considered the ringleader, Heather Matthews, who was 20, Demarcus Smith, who was 17, and Laura Taylor, who was the youngest at 16. And she was also Marvellis Keene's girlfriend at the time. Their killing spree resulted in the deaths of six people Two others were shot, but they survived. So let's go back as accurately as we can. I'm not really sure how they all met. They used to call themselves the downtown posse. Most of the time they would spend their days asking people for money at the courthouse, which is, well, during this time, it was really nice. There's a big water fountain in the middle of the courthouse square. We actually got married at the courthouse. It's not what it sounds like. Yeah, no, it, it's like a really old courthouse from like the 1800s or something. Yeah, but it's really, really nice on the inside. And back then there were different restaurants down there. And back then it was mostly the fancy or expensive restaurants. They would also have like street vendors. It really was nice in the 90s. They had the arcade. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the arcade. Yeah, the arcade. I oh, God, arcade. that's where all the kids used to love to go after school or when they wanted to skip school. They would go to the arcade and just sit there and play video games all day long. 
So there were also all kinds of businesses down there from department stores to lawyers offices. They had tables and chairs and all kinds of people from business people, parents with their little kids, or even kids on their way home from school would sit down there, eat lunch or meet up with friends. But it's definitely not like that anymore. So basically it was four bored kids with nothing to do and no money. So the youngest of the group, Laura Taylor, decided to hype up her friends by saying, let's get some drama in our lives. And that was a quote. From there, that's when a whirlwind of fuckery began. The joy spree, as the police called it, started Christmas Eve, 1992. Now, Keene was described as not a template killer. He had never been arrested. He was a good student until his brother was killed in 1991 when he was committing a robbery. His brother's death had a profound effect on him. He became depressed and basically gave up on his education. He moved to California to live with his dad for a while, but ended up coming back to Dayton in August of 1992 after having conflicts with money. He didn't stay at his mom's house long either. He ended up at a flop house near downtown Dayton. This is where he and his friends started making plans on how to make some quick money for Christmas. I'm not sure how they all met. I'm guessing they all met at the flop house. For those of you that are not familiar with the term, a flop house is just basically a really cheap hotel or a house with cheap rooms for rent. So their first victim was 34 year old Joseph Wilkerson, who was an acquaintance of Taylor. They tricked Wilkerson into letting them into his house by telling them he could have an orgy with the two girls. They went to Wilkerson's house tied him to the bed, then Keene stepped in and shot him through the heart. Yeah, Wilkerson was a General Motors employee, and they probably thought, you know, General Motors back then was a pretty big plant yeah. here in Moraine. It was. Uh, and a, a lot of those people made pretty decent money. Yeah, they did. So they probably thought he'd be an easy target to get some money and maybe some decent stuff out of his house. Yeah, especially if he had a nice car. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but they shot him with his own 32 Derringer. Mm, no, I did not know that. Yeah. And then Matthews shot him in the chest with a 25 caliber handgun. So even back then, I am so curious about the Derringer. Who has a Derringer? I thought that went out back in the Western days. Well, no, I mean, Derringer's still around today. They uh, They actually make like multi-barrel pistols mm. um they started out as like a little flintlock thing and yeah most people know them as the double barrel little little it's easy to conceal so a lot of a lot of females carry it and a lot of people that just want something to protect themselves with well i wouldn't say a lot of females carry that because i know females that carry big boy guns and let's just put it like that so if this was supposed to be a robbery you know i don't know what went wrong but they didn't even get shit all they got was a microwave a small tv a phone a curling iron blow dryer and wilkerson's car and i have to admit i'm a little confused about the curling iron unless wilkerson had a girlfriend and even if so why would that be something that you plan to or that you want to steal that just seems really weird see you're confused by the curling iron i'm confused by the phone 
Because why would you steal a phone back then? Because, you know, cell phones were just now being, like, a thing. So did they steal the landline, or was it one of those big bricks? Well, you can't steal a landline phone. Yeah, you can. How are you going to use it? Plug it in like your landline at home. They didn't have a home. They lived in a flop house. And exactly. So why would they steal the landline? <laughs> uh, exactly. They didn't steal the landline. They but apparently it, it, had to stole the cell phone. It could have been a novelty phone. I mean, I've seen Disney phones. I've seen Star Wars phones. So uh, that that's what threw me off was the phone. So I, I'm going to assume it was a brick cell phone. The little gray bricks or black yeah, bricks, what I call your case. What I call the Saved by the Bell phones, because that's the first time I saw a cell phone was on Saved by the Bell. Yeah, and and uh, they stayed at his house after they killed him, and partied and used it as a base of operations. Mm. So as you can see, they are just having the time of their lives. Later that day, the second victim, Danita Gallette who was an 18-year-old mother, was at a payphone making a call when Keene pointed the gun through the glass and said, Merry Christmas, bitch. They took her coat and her Fila shoes. Then he fired nine shots into the phone booth. The whole time, Galette begged for her life. Y'all, she only had 50 fucking cent in her pocket. So they still, they, they stole her Fila's. Mm-hmm. And then shot her. Mm-hmm. And... She was cooperative from what all the reports said, and they still shot her. And she had a two-year-old little girl at home. I know. That is crazy. Again, they are just out just fucking off because they literally have nothing else better to do. So the last Christmas Eve victim was Heather Matthews' ex-boyfriend, Jeffrey Wright. He was shot by Smith, Matthews' then-new boyfriend, four times in the legs, but he survived. Yeah, according to Matthews, uh, Wright was shot by Smith, her new boyfriend. Also, they even talked about going to the hospital to finish him off. That is crazy. So you got these kids. I mean, like I said, maybe they were just scared that if they let him live, he would tell. I'm not really sure. That's the only thing I can think of. That or they just were like, screw it, we planned on killing him, let's kill him. Maybe. So, of course, the bullshit didn't end there. Christmas morning, Lara Taylor shot her ex-boyfriend, Richmond Maddox, in the head. After that, Keen and Smith carjacked someone at the gas station. Yeah, Laura talked him into taking a ride. And when Maddox got spooked because the rest of the gang was following in the car behind him, uh, that's when she shot him, dove out of a moving car before it hit a tree to escape. The morning of December 26th, they robbed a mini mart and shot and killed the cashier, Sarah Abram, after she had given them everything in the register. They only got $44. Yeah, it was a, it was a little local family-owned mini mart, and the, there was a customer in the store he got shot in the hand and in the stomach. Mm. There was a part-time employee who escaped injury by playing dead. That's a very smart thing to do. If you have the frame of mind to do it, if you're in that situation, 
that is the one of probably one of the best ways you can avoid being shot or killed. So after they had done all of this killing, they decided they weren't done. They felt like they needed to cover their tracks because two of their acquaintances from the flop house, Marvin Washington and Wendy Cottrell, witnessed the shooting of Wright's ex. The gang thought that they would snitch on them, so they took them to a gravel pit and Keenan Smith killed them. Yeah, Wendy was shot in the mouth and then through the heart and abdomen. Oof. And Marvin was shot in the back of the head, execution style. Mm-hmm. So, get this, y'all. They took Cottrell's shoes as some sort of prize. The police believed that the spree could have even continued, but luckily it ended by chance. The police sergeant saw the black Dodge Shadow they had carjacked. He pulled him over thinking he was arresting car thieves, but ended up finding several guns in the car. At this point, the police weren't even aware that Dayton was in the middle of the worst killing spree in history. The bodies of Wilkerson, the first victim, and the gravel pit victims hadn't even been found yet. And in a city who at the time had fewer than one murder a week, the other three killings hadn't been linked. So I'm guessing while they were being questioned at the police station, one of them probably either accidentally or even purposely told on themselves or mentioned it or something having to do with the murders. And I guess at that point, the police put two or two together. I wasn't able to find any info on how the police actually put it all together. What they were calling the Dayton Four were charged with multiple felonies, including capital murder. And since Smith and Taylor were juveniles, they were immune from capital punishment. Matthews ended up cutting a deal. She testified for the prosecutors and in exchange, they agreed not to seek the death penalty for her. However, Marvellus was not spared. After Marvellus was arrested, he sent a letter of remorse to his childhood church in Dayton. His defense attorneys tried to argue that he suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder related to the death of his brother. That didn't work because Keene was convicted and sentenced to death. His execution date was set for July 21st, 2009. He was executed by lethal injection. When Keene was asked if he had anything to say, he replied, I have no words. So here we are 30 years later, Matthew Smith and Taylor are still in prison. They're in their forties and it is highly unlikely they will ever get paroled. Laura was up for parole, what, 2017? No, she was just up for parole last year, I think. Uh but yeah, they denied her, of mm-hmm, course. Of course. But yeah, they uh, I actually I get it. It's a part of the process. You got to at least try, but I can't believe they even tried. No. They're never getting out. Because this was so stupid and senseless and they killed these people for absolutely nothing. So, I don't believe they will ever get out. So, a couple of things I want to say before we go into our final thoughts and opinions. I actually knew Marvellus. What? Yes, I actually knew Marvellus. We weren't buddy-buddy or anything, but we did know each other. I can't remember when I met him, but I can honestly say that I had no idea he was capable of all this. He just seemed really cool, no red flags or anything. 
and I never met the other three. You never told me you knew him. I thought I told you that I knew him when we started this episode. No. Well, see, you learn something new every day. And when this happened, I was 18 years old with a six-month-old. And that could have been me in that phone booth. You just never know. I used to hang out in that part of town where Danita Gallette was killed. That's why I always say you never know what someone is capable of. And that's some scary shit. So, my final thoughts and opinions. Do I think this was mental illness? Absolutely not. I think this was just a bunch of bored, broke-ass kids who fucked up five lives. Well, six if you want to count Marvellous. Plus, multiple people that were caught in the crossfire. So, Tony, any last thoughts or opinions? Hey, look, y'all. Anybody that knows me knows that I'm a big supporter of concealed carry and training and knowing how to defend yourself, not just with a firearm, but jujitsu, Muay Thai, anything like that. And it's one of those things where you just learning how to defend yourself can help save your life. I absolutely agree. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. This is our last episode for 2022. We will be on hiatus until the third week of January. So Merry Christmas, or if you prefer, Happy Holidays, and have a fabulous new year. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to y'all in 2023. Later, Mass Murder Gang. Deuces. Deuces.